It's the humorous things. It's funny because people say you go to a, a workshop or a seminar, you're lucky if the average person remembers 10% of what you talked about. But if you talked about something and made it funny, they'll remember that. They remember the funny stuff. They remember the interesting stuff. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. Today, my guest, Bob Duzine, grew up on a wheat and cattle farm in western Kansas and earned a degree in civil engineering from Kansas State University, followed by an MBA from Rockhurst University. In the early part of his career, he worked as a construction project manager, where he guided the construction of the world's tallest concrete building, the 70-story 311 South Wacker Drive in Chicago, Illinois. He was also the co-owner of the construction company, as well as the human resource and training director for a national construction firm. Leaving the corporate world 15 years ago, Bob started his own business, focusing on training, coaching, and facilitating leadership workshops for organizations nationwide. In addition to his work in organizational leadership development and coaching, Bob has spoken at numerous expos, seminars, and conventions on a wide range of performance and leadership topics. Here's the best part. Bob has been a professional, wait for it, wait for it improviser for over 25 years, having studied at the Second City Players Workshops. He is also a professional voiceover and video actor and co-author of Creating the High Performance Workplace. This interview was so much fun to record and is packed with value. Before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. Please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I would greatly appreciate your support. And also, please visit my YouTube channel, The Accidental Accountant, where you can see this video episode and several past podcast interviews. And please subscribe to my YouTube channel. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders 
a story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in person and on site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. Now, let's get to the review with Bob Duzine. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm excited to interview my next guest, Bob Duzine, for a number of reasons. And, you know, I, when, I, when I look at his background and, and look what he's done over the last number of years, I think he might be a brother from another mother because we have a lot of things in common. So first and foremost, Bob, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with me. Thank you, Peter, for having me today. I was looking forward to it. Now, you can tell by his voice, the man has a voice for radio, and I, I, he's the yin, I'm the yang, because I definitely have a face for radio. So this is going to work out real well between us. <laughs> Maybe I should have said, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Margaritas. <laughs> even better. Thank you so, very much. Yeah, I won't even charge you for that. <laughs> I got. I got to give me. I got a giveaway. That's good. Let's see if I can get a few more Thanks, out of bro. you today. No, really. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, uh, I really have been excited about being on your show. I appreciate that. Uh, now, Bob lives in Kansas City, Missouri. And, well, you know, he's got a really interesting, really interesting story of how he went from, let's say, I think, you know, Western Kansas, growing up as a farmer. Yeah, farm kid. Farm kid, farm kid. To, he left that part of the country and went to the tiny city called Chicago. I'd love to hear that kind of that story about how you made yourself, how you, how you made it to Chicago. Yeah, well, you know, the the, the farm thing was, uh, my parents were always very encouraging of me to do something other than farming, because I think they saw that if you want to make a living, you might want to do something other than farming. It, was, it wasn't at least then very a very lucrative business. And we had a mid-sized farm. We raised wheat and cattle. And uh, so after college, I got a civil engineering degree, went to work here in Kansas City for a construction company. And really, all my my 40 year career has been here in Kansas City, except for about four or five years in about about 12 or 13 years into my career. I got offered to be a project manager on a job we got in downtown Chicago. So the farm kid is now going to be in downtown Chicago. I was nervous and excited and all things at once, uh, but I love Chicago. I spent, like I said, about four years there, spent a little bit of time in Milwaukee, and then eventually found my way back to Kansas City working for a different company. So, yeah, it was a, it was a unique transition, and it was a, you know, I go from a, a, the farm to a college town of about 20 or 30,000 people to Kansas City, about, you know, maybe a million and a half total metro. And then you go to Chicago, where 
it's 30 minutes anywhere. <laughs> anywhere it's 30 to 40 minutes, no matter, I don't care if you're going to get groceries, it's 30 <laughs> to 40 minutes wherever you're going. And so there was a good transition in there, but it was fun. I uh, loved the town and, and just loved being there. It was a good, I, I like a good Midwestern city, people with great work ethic. And uh, it was just a great, great time. And you spent some time at a place that I really like to go to when I'm in Chicago. Uh, you spent some time at Second City. Oh, excuse yeah. me, the, the Second City. The Second City. And I want to be clear, I was never a member of Second City, but I took, uh, w- when I moved up there, I'd always been interested in comedy and, and stand-up. And I, I did a little bit of stand-up, but uh, I thought, wow, I'm in Chicago. What better place to look into learning the art of improvisation and studying it. So Second City offered a thing called the Second City Players Workshop. It was about two years worth of courses taught by Second City players. And so I took improv courses for two years and got the improv bug and have never quit. It's been 30 years now since I started doing it. And uh, it's it, once you get into it, it's kind of like, golfing or skiing is for a lot of people once you get hooked on it you never want to quit doing it so i'm I'm actually not that way with golfing or skiing i just know people who are so (laughs) yes uh and once you catch that bug it it, it becomes really contagious and, and and you thrive on it even more and i i know that you currently now when you're out and you're working with companies, whatever you're using some of the principles of improv and improv techniques and helping your audience understand about leadership and about, you know, uh, uh, teams and stuff. And, and that way from what you've learned and gleaned from those years, even though it'd be two years, that's probably the, I've attended a number of workshops, but they've been here or there kind of like a Morgan Freeman's beard kind of spotches here, spotches here, <laughs> yeah. spotches here right. versus having that two year thread. Uh, but but it it is a lot of fun and it is a lot of fun to make when audience realize that you're not trying to make them funny but it's actually a leadership tool. Yeah, it is. And you know the the thing about improvisation is people think when they go to see an improv show, you a lot of people are and, and should be expecting some comedy. But really, there I've been a part of a lot of improv scenes or and and have seen a lot of improv scenes that are in, very interesting. It's almost like improv theater it's not really even funny but the scene is really interesting and has some depth to it and that can be as interesting as something that's funny Uh, because one of the worst things you can do in improv is think that everything you say has to be funny and those kind of scenes tend to go nowhere so you know sometimes there's a big setup for a punchline but sometimes that punchline never comes but the setup was still interesting the story was still interesting right i think it was christian wig who said uh about improv improv is more about listening and trying not to be funny yeah and oftentimes you know there was a book uh forgive me for not knowing the author right now i read several years ago the title of the book is truth in comedy and if you you probably have that on your shelf i have it on a a shelf somewhere in my house but it's just not here but tr- the great thing about truth in comedy is, is essentially is just that the, you got it there. There you go. Author. Yeah, Sharna Harpin and Del Close and Kim uh, Johnson. Del Close. I don't know why that Del Close is a Chicago icon. I don't know why I couldn't is I yeah. lost his name there for a second, yeah. but the, the funniest things, you know, come out of actual things that happen. And I think, 
even in stand-up, if you're a back in the day, maybe you were a Seinfeld fan or Chris Rock or or any good stand-ups, they relate stories that we all can relate to, that we all and and they see the humor in it. And the, and the funniest things are the things oftentimes that are true. Uh, you know, uh, and, and you find a way to twist that and, and make it funny. It's it's same thing a good storyteller does. So would you agree with this statement? But when when we're trying to communicate with an audience in order to keep their attention, humor goes a long way and keeping them awake and increasing their retention. Yes, absolutely. And and that's why when I facilitate a workshop or give a talk, uh, give a keynote, it's the humorous things. It's funny because people say you go to a, a workshop or a seminar, you're lucky if the average person remembers 10% of what you talked about. But if you talked about something and made it funny, they'll remember that. They remember the funny stuff. They remember the interesting stuff. And so the, the humor adds to that retention. You know, I, uh, go, back to the, go back to the Maya Angelou quote that says, People will never remember what you said or what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And people love to laugh. And, and so, yeah, it's a great retention tool. People remember those things. They do. And it's amazing. I mean, I know I have a really unique last name. It sounds like a cocktail, but as I was saying, it should be pronounced like an inflammation. I put something together for an accounting talk that was on a very complex accounting standard. But I created this story and made it funny, and it was and I, and I used a mother-in-law as as part of the, the as the main character sure. in this story, and people who were at that event in in Arizona that time, if I go back to Arizona, they see me at some other place. They go, "You're the mother-in-law guy." Yeah, that's the that means they I they don't remember my name, which is fine, but they remember what I was talking about. Right, right, yeah, I it, it it's true. Uh, I gave a talk, a keynote recently to a group of uh, healthcare workers, a healthcare organization, um, and the name of the group is Value Health. I don't think they'll mind me promoting that a little bit. But I gave a talk. They wanted it to be centered around improvisation, but also have a message of what all these healthcare workers have been through in the last year and a half. And so improvisation lends itself really well to that because the healthcare workers in the past 18 months talk about having to improvise. So, you know, the three, the three elements I talked about that relate to being a good leader, but also being a good improviser were being present, which in improv, a lot of times we say be in the moment, uh, be present, take a risk. Don't just stand in the backup line and, and wait for somebody else to join the scene mm -hmm. and adapt. You always have to be adaptable. And so it's those elements, like you said, uh, alluded to a little bit ago, those elements of improv that, that feed directly into uh, leadership and how we interact at work. Absolutely. And, and I think and we were talking about this at one point in time over the last month or so. We all improvise every single day. We, we every day, all day. Right. Every day, all day. And, and by the way, if you, do you have a, a son or daughter? I have two sons. Two sons. Well, I, I remember my, when I first, my son was born, put him in the car. And I went, wait a minute, we left the manual behind. <laughs> and there's no manual. What do you mean? I don't, how am I supposed to take care of this? Of this right. Well, we went through some classes beforehand. And then, you know, baby gets sick, call your parents, 
call the neighbors. He's got like 15 kids. What do I do? But you go find out that information. We're improvising all the time. I just want people to recognize it. Yeah. And then leverage that now versus just not really recognizing what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the one of the messages I had for the healthcare group I just spoke with was you had to do all these things in the last year. Improvise, be present, and take risks. Moving forward as leaders, let's not just do those things at, in times where we have to. Let's do them because we want to, and it makes for a better work environment. Let's look for ways to adapt, not, not because our business calls for it right now. It's an emergency, but let's look for ways to adapt. Be more present, which you said earlier, listening. You know, we have to, we have to make sure we're taking the time to listen and not just focus on other things. And then take take those risks. You know, I compare it to, like I said, standing in a backup line in an improv scene. You have two people out performing a scene and two or three people in the backup line watching, listening, looking for maybe an opportunity to join the scene. But if you overthink it and you think, well, is what I'm going to add going to be funny? Is it going to be interesting? Or maybe these two people were just about ready to do something really cool or interesting or funny, so I better let them go. And you think about that for just a few seconds and the scene may be over or somebody else has jumped in. Right. So you have to take those risks and not be. And when I say risks, I don't mean life or death risks, but the risks that we don't take because we're worried about what if we fail? What will other people think? Are people going to think I'm worthy of doing this? And I've battled that all my life. But <laughs> improv has helped me get through and, and change my mindset on a lot of that. Yeah, that that is so true. We get stuck in our heads a lot of times. And it's, I, I you know, remember when I first was introduced to it, I would be that person in the back of the line. Is this the right thing? Should I make this move? And I remember being in Chicago, one of the workshops, and it, the exercise was the world's worst. So we had a backup line. It was lined up against the wall. And right. the topic, the world's worst police officer. And you had to jump out. And yeah. if, if somebody came out, world's worst police officer, uh, I think I'm going to give you a ticket. Now, just go ahead and go on. And then jump back. You cannot leave that stage empty. You, you right. So whether you, you say it's funny or not, but you just get it out and you, and you don't overthink it. And I see so many people today, yeah. the way that... A little transparency. I find myself also overthinking what I'm doing and just not doing it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. We get it's the uh, the old uh, what do they call it? Analysis paralysis. <laughs> yeah. We think about it so long, we just end up not taking any action or or you know not doing it when we should do it. I don't know. That made me think too. You know, I don't know how many times after an improv show, even an improv show that we thought was mediocre at best it just we weren't maybe clicking really well people will come up afterwards and say man i just don't know how you all do that how do you get i i could never you ought to you know i'll say we ought to try it oh i could never improvise and i want to tell them just what we said earlier you improvise every day what they're really saying is i i don't want to be on stage in front of a bunch of people that that i get yeah but don't think you can't improvise because some some people that i've i've improvised with uh, and performed with are in their normal everyday life aren't they don't go out of their way to try to be funny or they're you know they're even fairly serious people mm -hmm. but you get them on stage 
and they can be hilarious. They can be really interesting and really good at it. So yeah, people are always saying, "Oh, I could never improvise." I think I think you could. I think they could too. I, I, I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, speaking in this auditorium. I was like balcony, and I had this huge uh, screen, and I asked for volunteers on a couple exercises, and this one it just went crickets. And so I said, oh, okay, I'll come up there and do that. So she passed up and we had a blast on stage. Yeah, I don't remember what the game it was. I screwed up somehow, made it, I wasn't trying to, but made it funny. We had a good time. And I said, so what was the hardest thing about this exercise? Volunteering. <laughs> so yeah. That's the hardest part. Yeah. But you put yourself out there, you lean into that fear. Right. And then everything else, as long as the facilitator is doing their job, everything else is fine. It's just yeah. putting yourself out there. Well, once you jump in the deep end, you got no choice but to swim. I mean, you know, you're you're there. You, you do something. Find out it works. So when you get, when you're put in those type of situations, you know, where, where there's really no net out there and yeah. it's just I don't know about you, but I get exhilarated. I, I just get so amped up where everybody else is like shying away. It's like, like I'm running into the fire. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember this has happened a couple of times that I remember because I've done hundreds of, of shows over the years, but there's been a couple of times where somebody had started a scene and I jumped out into the scene and just went completely blank on anything. I didn't go out there with any preconceived idea of what I wanted to say or do. I just jumped out and me and her, just looked at each other and then I looked at the audience and then I looked at her and everybody, and we, we were both doing it and everybody cracked up. Everybody started laughing simply because I couldn't think of anything to say or do. And that became funny. So yeah, it, it's, it's taking that risk and just, just getting after it, you know, talking about when I moved to Chicago, that was a, the story I relayed to, to the group I just recently spoke with, which, was a, a new I, I wrote a new keynote just for this group and what they wanted me to talk about. Mm -hmm. So moving to Chicago is one of the stories where my boss here in Kansas City called me into his office and I'll, I'll make the story a lot shorter, said they wanted to ask me if I wanted to move to Chicago to be a project manager on a 70 story high rise building that was going to last about three years. And I, and that's where Again, I started getting in my head because we start thinking of all the reasons we shouldn't do it or we, right. aren't, we aren't skillful or we don't have the ability to do it. We aren't. I was 27 years old and I was going to go manage a 70 story high rise. And on the way home that night, I just kept thinking about I'm moving away from a town that I know really well. I've got great friends here. I've got family here. Um, I'm moving to a city where I don't know anyone. I've never been a project manager. I, you know, I was just, I'm too young. I, I don't know enough. I was thinking of all these reasons for staying in the backup line, for not jumping in. And I went in the next morning and I told my boss, I said, I'm taking the job because I wanted to commit because I knew if I, I'd talk myself out of it if I didn't. <laughs> I went in and I said, I'm doing it, done. And you know, it was it was a great experience. Uh, I I can I can relate to that. I mean, I just thought of a bunch of stories. But as you as you were talking about that, I, I want to read something from your from your website that um, it's on your full bio, and it said he took his love of comedy and early success in TV and radio, which we have to talk about, 
coupled with his passion for business, became a project manager, a human resource director, and owned a successful construction company before becoming an industry-leading expert, consultant, executive coach, and facilitator. Human resource uh, Whose website are you reading? Yeah, so I, that's what I thought the first time. I said, no, it's Bob. It's, I can see his picture there. Yeah. So it's, you've got a lot more in your background than being that civil engineering person and you've evolved into a couple of different roles. Well, it really, it really worked out great, Peter, because when I was in Chicago, I had been in construction and project managing and project engineering for 12, 13 years. And when that job was done, I wanted to move back to Kansas city, but there wasn't a job opening with the company I was with. And I left on good terms. So I moved back and I actually met a guy that had a small concrete construction company. So I partnered with him for a couple of years and we did driveways and patios. It was kind of a fun business. And then my old company that I had moved to Chicago to work with and that I'd worked with here in Kansas City called up and said, um, we have an opening um, here. We, we wanted to consider you if you want to come back to work for us to do training and human resources. And I thought, well, there's a 180 degree shift from what I'm doing that. Sure. That'll be fun. So again, before the voices got in my head telling me why I shouldn't or couldn't do it, I said, yep, I'll do it. And so that started that chapter in, in, in a whole different perspective. But you know what, Peter, that's really what got me interested in wanting to do what I'm doing now. I'd have probably never taken off to be a facilitator, leadership development coach, speaker, if I hadn't gone into the human resources and training arena, because that's what started getting me up in front of groups and interacting more with people uh, and people issues uh, more than I was on the project management end of things. Yeah. As you're describing the story, I'm, I'm thinking you're using in, in your head, you're using those two words that are critical in improvisation. Yes. And when do I start? Yes. <laughs> yes absolutely. How much are you going to pay me? Exactly. Yes, and exactly. What's my reload package? <laughs> yes. Yes, I can do it. And yeah, here's right. the big question. And are you going to give me the blank check? So, uh, yeah. In, in hindsight, I think I think all of you know, I like to think that a lot of the decisions we make are the best decisions, um, even though I could have made different decisions and those would have been the best decisions because it's about, again, improvising and maximizing what you can do with where you're at in your career or in your life. So, you know, things would have been fine if I wouldn't have moved to Chicago. Who knows what else, where, where the path would have taken me. Uh, and I still may be right here doing similar to what I'm doing now. I don't know that, but I always look back and I, I, I never want to have regrets about, well, I wish I'd have done more of this or more of this or pursued this a little harder because you mentioned radio and TV. Yeah. That was one thing I've always done as kind of a side job. And I've not done TV in the sense of being a broadcaster, but I've done commercials and voiceover work. And, and then that got me into doing voice work for like everything from training manuals to videos for, you know, uh, workshops or whatever. So I've done that kind of as, as almost as a side job. And I never really pursued it as hard as I could have, have done it, but I just had other interests. So yeah, the, the voice and radio work is always fun, fun thing to do. 
that's different from what I'm doing now. Yes, I and I know that um, you do some voices, and uh, you want to give them a little bit of a taste of a couple of the characters that you have floating around in your head that you can do really well. Oh gosh, um, there's there's characters and there's uh, actually like impersonations. And I used to do more impersonations, and and so nowadays a lot of the millennials have never heard of a lot of the impersonations I do because I really haven't worked on any new ones. <laughs> But, um, you know, back in the day and especially in, in things like uh, doing some stand up and stuff, I do uh, Tom Brokaw with the NBC and Island News. Hello, I'm Tom Brokaw with the NBC and Island News. More later on Dateline with Katie Couric, I'm Tom Brokaw. And, uh, and of course, you know, then there's Bill Clinton. I just, I'm so happy to be here. I know you do a good Bill Clinton. Bill talking to Bill right now. That's How Bill talking doing? to Bill, and I, you know what? I like that. It's I, it's, it's really awesome. It's it's one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> uh, but then that one leads into for the old old school leads into to Don Knotts doing oh. when he played Barney Fife. So you take Bill Clinton talking like this, and you know, and then you just go into a little bit whinier voice, you know. No, you know, and then you get Barney Five, and I suppose I'm going to go check with old Aunt B, you know, Ange, and see what she's up to. So, uh, say, Ange, did you ever see my bullet laying around? I left it here somewhere. <laughs> it might be laying over there on the on the end table. Oh well, I got to go now. I got to, you know, somebody's got to keep this town safe. So Bill Clinton, very close to Barney Five. I, I never, I never realized that. So when did you first start doing uh, these impressions? Was, was there one that just kind of you, you worked on to kind of get you started? That was probably the one. Barney Five was probably the one. Um, I worked on others as a kid and got close on some. But but another one, one of my earlier ones I did was Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, because so many people, when they do Arnold Schwarzenegger, they do a, a caricature of his voice. You know, they do, a, they do it over the top, you know, but I'm not that type of person that is going to do something like, you know, too extreme. You know, I can say, get to the chopper now, you know, but that's that's the character, Arnold, you know, doing doing a, a character on the perhaps on a movie or a TV show. <laughs> I am um, I, my, my first character that. I, I did as a kid with I did Donald and then I started morphing into your earth creatures make me very, very angry. Oh. I'm zappy with my humanoid gut. And I just kept kind of building yeah. from, from that and, and this I never that, I never uh, could do the Donald thing. I I I I, I could do that, but I can't talk while I'm doing it. So it is kind of difficult to do that. I did like the space alien. That was probably one of them I did as a kid on Bugs Bunny. But yeah. The uranium-238 space modulator. Yeah, yeah the oh, uh, Mar Mar Marvin the Martian. But, but the one I've been working on for a while is Morgan Freeman. And But I work on Morgan Freeman in a different way. I think Morgan, Morgan could read you anything. Yeah. You say, like, uh, Morgan, I just got a notice from the IRS. Could you read this to me? Yeah. <laughs> Dear taxpayer, I regretfully inform you that your 1993 tax return will now be under audit. And just, it's that soothing voice uh, that he has, like, oh, sure, come and audit me. I don't care. 
his his ability to put emotion in what he reads is just incredible. People that can do that is it's amazing. So yeah. How, how much voiceover work are you doing? How much of that piece are you doing today in your business to go along with your keynotes and your workshop yeah. and your coaching? You know, not not that much in the last probably five years. Uh, I haven't done as much just because it does take time and effort to pursue it, to reach out, to market yourself in that in that arena. And doing that takes away from all the other things I really want to do. And frankly, it's not in, in a lot of markets, unless you're a big fish, it's not really all that lucrative. So you can spend a lot of time getting a voice gig um, and then not get that much out of it, unless maybe you're a union person, but union jobs pay more because you get residuals, but you're also in a bigger pool of people auditioning for things. And so uh, it's a hard thing to really break into because there's so many people out there who can do it at some level. Right. They're continually competing with each other. Right. Yeah. I, I've always wanted to do more, more vo voiceover work, but to that point, it's like, okay, one getting started and two, having that focus, that energy, that time to invest into yeah. perfecting that and taking a little bit away from what you've already built and trying to perfect that. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was working at it a little more, I'd go in for, this is before I could do an audition either via Zoom or in my studio here and, and send it in. You, you went to the agency you went to your agent's office and they recorded you there and you did this audition. I'd go in for something that was going to be maybe a 30 second TV spot or radio spot. There's 25, 30 other people reading for it. Well, my, my chances of coming out, you know, and it just got, I just was investing a lot of time in reading for parts and, and bits that, that so many other people were also trying for. And that's when I kind of think I started thinking there's better ways to invest my time and my efforts. Do you do this during your, your, your keynotes and coaching and workshops? Do you strategically at times use that different voice, use that character voice just to, because they're not expecting it. Oh and yeah. It, it kind of snaps them like oh, he's doing Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's a great thing to do to catch people off guard with it. I was doing a workshop one time and I, I went into a voice. I think I, I started doing uh, Forrest Gump and I said something like, you know, now look, I'm not a smart man, but I can tell you something and it's going to be something kind of important. So you, you might want to listen. And if you listen good, then I think you're going to be smarter for it. And I did that and people were laughing and chuckling and, and saying, you know, comment and stuff. And one, one person in the back, she said, and I forget, I can't remember the name. Oh, is he doing, oh, she goes, is that Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> and everybody looked at her like, no, it is not. Uh, that was funny. So, uh, but yeah, you break into Arnold Schwarzenegger, or, you know, again, like, like Barney Fife is so old that if I did that in a group of millennials, they probably wouldn't know who I was doing. But if it's a group of, as I am, more experienced people, more pe people with more life experience, you know, you break into stuff like that. And again, it's that whole humor retention gets the audience, it, it keeps the audience engaged with you. 
all that good stuff. Bob, I got an idea for us. We should put an improv, get put an improv troupe together and do the assisted living tour. Awesome. Yes. I love it. They would know Barney Fife. They would know some of the characters that we absolutely we, they would laugh at it. And we oh, wouldn't have to worry yeah, about we, it. We wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to, to uh to come up with any new stuff now. You know, you, you, we could we could do the young Carlin. You could do Bob Hope. You could do Johnny Carson. They would what they would just be yeah. all over that stuff. Another one they, that they don't know now because he's well, he's gone now, but he's also been off the air for a long time. Was Casey Kasem? Oh wow! And I was yeah. I always like to do Casey Kasem. And now on with the countdown. Here's <laughs> a long distance dedication from Peter Margaritas. Peter Margaritas in Columbus writes, "Dear Casey." You know, and then and then you throw in some song title. So yeah, like, we do have to find an audience for people that recognize all this. Yeah, and, and they would get as big a laugh as I just yeah. got from me doing Casey Kasem because man, did that take me back? Oh gosh, a number of years. Yeah, you keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Well, you know. Even the millennials, they're starting to listen to our music from back in the day, that classic rock mm -hmm. uh, has becoming more and more. So maybe some of these voices that might start resonating with them. But if you've, if you're not recognizing any of these impersonations that Bob is doing, go Google them. Go Google the, 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 the character, the actor, uh, and, and listen to him and realize how good this guy is with these voices because they're pretty much spot on. I should really, I, and I always think I should start working on some new ones that I can use in workshops and talks and things that, that maybe more people would recognize. You know, I, I've worked a bit on Trump and Biden and, you know, but I hate that. I hate to get into the whole, I hate for people to think it's political because, right. you know, I, I don't want to do that, but there are a lot of, a lot of cool current voices out there that uh, are really distinct that I think, you know, if you just worked on, if the person worked on, they'll, they'll get them. I've always wanted, I've tried to do Obama a number of times. And there's, he, he has this little whistle in his voice, that little mm -hmm. thing. And he has that cadence and, and that pause. He, that kind of staccato cadence yeah. where he pauses at kind of odd times and, and then punches a certain word when he does it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's a tough one to do. I've tried that. And it's funny because I find myself at certain times listening to people especially a famous person and thinking, how could I impersonate? How, how would it, I start to do an impersonation? I get to where I'm not even paying attention to what they're saying. I'm just listening to that voice and the, how they, how they talk, you know, I'm like, I don't know what the guy said. I was just, <laughs> I was just trying to figure out how I could impersonate him. Uh, Obama was on WTF podcast with Mark uh, Marion, I believe his name is. And I must've listened to that. A dozen, two dozen times, trying to get that cadence, trying to get yeah. that. And then there was another thing where uh, he was on the podcast of been interviewed by his former, his right hand man at one point in time during the campaign. I can see him. I just can't remember his name. And I listened to that. Not oh, it wasn't uh, like Rahm Emanuel or somebody. But I listened to that. Just exactly. What I wasn't listening to the words. I was listening to the cadence, listening to how, and just yeah. trying to get it down. And, and I almost got there. And, and then well, I've got his book, his audio book. Okay. Uh, and, and I've got a long ride coming up to, to Southwest Florida. Oh, there um, you go. And, and the book is about 12 hours. So I, that's my idea of working on maybe his voice over this 
12 hour long car ride. Yeah. You need to just play, you know, two or three minutes and then pause it and then work on it and then yep. play some more and then work on it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Bob, we could go on for hours about this stuff and we will. And I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to, because you're part of uh, C-Suite Thought Leaders and Thought Council. And when Jeffrey has a, one of his regional, not one of his um, all day council meetings, he used to have them live and in person. Sure. You know, I can't wait till it has that again, because you and I will have to give them a little bit of, of entertainment. And oh, that would be fun. We're proud for that group. It'd that be would fun. be great. But yeah, I would look forward to that. And I'm looking forward to anything that we can do where we're in person. Yes. So live, live in person and not on Zoom, Microsoft yeah. Teams, or any other kind of virtual platform. That's great. Yep. Absolutely. No, that would be that would be hilarious. <laughs> so I I appreciate your time. Thank you so very much. Uh, it's been well. I, I like to laugh on my podcast. Yes, <laughs> but I will admit this was this you you had me you had me laughing. <laughs> Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for the invitation, Uh, because I know you you speak generally on a similar you 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 use improvisation and techniques and and what you write about and what you talk about and and things. And it's it's just a great there's there's so many different ways to to look at that. And I I really uh, uh, applaud the work you do with integrating improv into our personal lives in the business world and how we interact. I, I greatly appreciate that. And as you know, when I mentioned about having you on my podcast, I go, I know we both speak in the same space. That's okay. The more that we can raise the awareness that this is a tool, a leadership tool and not a, it's also a comedic tool, but it has a lot of leadership characteristics, values, and it works. The more we can raise the awareness, the more business we both will get, and other improvisers who view it from our same vantage point uh, will hopefully increase their businesses as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's a it it is truly something that resonates with people, and and it keeps it from being the, another boring workshop or another boring presentation. People want to look forward to being entertained or you know, what, whatever the words are they use now, edutainment, or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they, they want to be informed and have takeaways, but they want it to be fun. So, Bob, how can people find you? You can find me. My website is bobduzine.com. That's B-O-B-D-U-S-I-N.com. And I just search Bob Duzine on LinkedIn, and I'm there, too. So, uh, yeah, and, and there's contact information if for any reason anybody anybody would want to contact me or or just have a conversation with Don Knotts or Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> I'd be glad to do that. So uh, yeah, you can you can find me in those locations. And uh, again, Peter, uh, thanks so much for having me join you today. It's been a blast. I love talking with you. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining. This was a lot of fun, and I, I'm looking forward to when our paths cross again in person. Absolutely. That will be a scream. Excellent. Look forward to it, Peter. Thank you. All right. Thanks, bud. I want to thank Bob for his time in discussing the leadership components and values that improvisation brings to organizations. I will conclude with an improv quote that I feel is fitting for this interview. Listening is not merely hearing. Listening is reacting. Listening is being affected by what you hear. Listening is active.
my two cents, work on your listening skills every single day. Thank you. Be safe. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.